1: Dr. Sigalov, I am super excited to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. And before we get started with anything, I'd like to give my quick little disclaimer that anything I state is an opinion held by myself, and it does not express an opinion that uh, is held by the government, not by DOD, nor by the Department of the Army.
1: Fair enough fair enough. And you know, I'm just delighted to have you on Dr. Sigloff because I actually, I don't even a hundred percent recall how I stumbled upon you, but I found your story absolutely compelling. And as somebody who's really committed to critical thinking, especially in the area of health, when I started hearing some of the things that you were talking about as a physician you know, it really got my attention. And since I serve women all over the world who are trying to conceive, I thought it would be really awesome to have you on to talk about the landscape of fertility right now and some of the things that people should be considering, not just about general health, but, you know, considering as they're starting their families. And I thought you had an awesome take on on all of this. Um, You have some opinions on diet, and I know you have some opinions on. On, on healthcare and, and how we can best serve ourselves and our health. So, I'd love it if you just would start off by sharing a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got here.
0: Okay, thank you for having me. Um, so, I'm a family medicine physician. So, that means I went to a medical school, I went to a DO school or doctor of osteopathy school. And it just all that means is we have a di- slightly different philosophy on how medicine is. And the idea is we want to get to the root cause of the problem or at least that's how we started back in the 1800s. We don't want to be hacking arms and legs off people. We want to find the real reason and find health, not treat disease. And so that kind of, that hopefully puts all of this conversation in the right mindset. So I did mes- medical school at Ohio University and then went to residency at Fort Benning in Georgia. Uh, it was a great residency program. I was able to to do quite a bit because there's only one residency program there. And then, you know, I had a couple of duty stations and then now we're Um, A few years forward, we're now in Alaska. I was stationed at Fort Wainwright, Alaska. And the time frame was probably January of 2020. And I started learning about diet. And the reason I was motivated to learn about diet, because otherwise I've learned, oh, you got to have carbs. Carbs are important. You need to eat carbs. Um, We'll get into that in a bit. Um, but what's, what really got me into looking into diet was I was diagnosed with a disease called idiopathic hypersomulence. Layman's term, it's narcolepsy. The only difference is narcolepsy, you go into REM sleep right away with idiopathic hypersomulence. You don't. You, just, you can fall asleep just as easily. It's not like Deuce Bigelow where the, you know, the lady's falling asleep in her soup. It's not like that. It's more like you're up in the middle of the day and you feel like you've been up for 48 hours. You can stay awake through it, but it's rough, and then that goes away, and then it comes back, and And so when I was in Alaska, the, and I've had it my whole life, but in Alaska, the, the day-night schedule and and the work schedule, it was just it was challenging, so I became diagnosed with with this IH, idiopathic hypersimulants, and that kind of, the medicines were working, but not great, and then I, it led me into looking at a diet, and I ran across a Michaela Peterson, and she had stated that she had IH, which is... For as rare as narcolepsy is, IH is even more rare. It's like one in two to three hundred thousand. It's pretty rare that I've been blessed with this, which really it is a blessing because it it brought me down this road. And she she talks about the lion diet and how either her either Michaela said this or her dad said it, but it um, Jordan Peterson, but it cured her IH. She doesn't have that problem anymore. And so I was like, hmm. That's interesting. Let me look into this. And as you as I start looking into it, I run across some other giants in the field. So, you know, Sean Baker, um, physician, uh, orth, orthopedic surgeon, uh, Paul Saladino, uh, MD. He's He did a psychiatry residency. And Ken Berry. He's a family med doc out of Tennessee. And, and these are the guys that I studied, what they were saying. And then I didn't just take what they said at face value. I'd go look it up myself. And everything they said not only makes sense, like today, but what did humans eat for thousands of years? What's the only food source available on every continent that humans live on in every season? And that's animals. It is very evident when you're living in Alaska that like, there's no berries for you to eat in the middle of the winter. And there's no berries for like nine, 10 months out of the year. And when there are berries, the rabbits eat them before you can get to them. And so it's like, hmm, okay, well what did people out in the Middle East in the desert eat? Well, they ate sheep. And if you look at the Mediterranean diet and the traditional, the real Mediterranean diet. They ate animals. They ate um, butter and dairy, and they ate fruit. And the reason that particular way of eating is so good is you take out all of the inflammatory, you take out all the chemicals, you take out all these things out of your body that you probably shouldn't be eating anyways. And so if we look at this from kind of like a common sense, I like to look at things as, you know, yeah, I'm a doctor, but I look, it has to make sense too. If it doesn't make sense, then it's probably not right. And, and animals, they want to keep living. They don't want to be eaten. And so they don't want their bodies to be eaten. And their body is the vegetable. So a good example of that is, and, and, and plants have this long game. They're, they're not going to like, because they can't run, hide, or fight like animals can. They don't want to be eaten. And if you go into a bear's cave and you try to eat it or it's, it's babies, it's not going to work out well for you. A plant doesn't have that ability. <laughs> right. But they do have a different ability. They're they're a little more subtle, right? And it was also interesting because we got guinea pigs for the kids. And this is where I saw stuff I learned in medicine also go along with what I learned in veterinary medicine for these pigs. We were gonna go, oh, let me get some spinach for them. If you feed guinea pigs spinach, they will die. And the reason they'll die is there's lots of oxalates in spinach. Yeah, and so you already know what oxalates do. They can cause kidney stones. And so you have all these people now drinking oxalate smoothies, increasing the risk of making kidney stones. Another self-defense of a plant is so, soy. That's a huge one. And you hear this this term, which I don't really like, and, and I'm quoting others, but soy boy. And it's, it's, you know, it's not a great term to use, but there's some truth behind <laughs> that. So let's say you have a field of soy and you have a cow that get, stumbles out in that field and it gets lost. And it's, oh, hey, let me eat this soy. The cow will start eating the soy, and there's phytoestrogen. So a plant molecule that looks like estrogen works like estrogen. And then the cow becomes sterile as if it were taking a contraceptive. And then the cow dies of old age, and there's no more cows. It's a long game. But in, you know, 10, 15 years after the cow dies, the plant continues to grow. And there's no more cows because they became sterile. So do you really want to pump your body filled With or your children's or your husband's um, body with a bunch of phytoestrogen. No human on on the face of the earth should ever eat soy.
1: This is incredible to me because, yeah, I mean, this is just—it's very stunning to me because this is the exact opposite, Doctor Sigalov, of what we have been taught. Like it just it blows my mind. I remember being a little kid, in you know, and and gotta seeing this food pyramid, and like, gotta eat your broccoli, gotta eat the green stuff first. Like that really, so I, I think the, is a is an interesting. Yeah, oh, go ahead.
0: Who made the food pyramid? Who was the one pushing this policy I have, on no. America? FDA government, USDA. People who are more concerned about feeding people than having optimal health. And sure, you can eat that stuff. You can eat whatever you want, you know. And I have plenty of patients that I see, and I tell them, I, I give this, this whole spiel, and I tell them, you know, you can do whatever you want. I'm not saying you need to eat this. I'm telling you, this is a different option that you may never have heard of before, and it, all the evidence shows that it is the healthiest way to eat. So I was mentioning that's incredible. Like broccoli like is bad mm-hmm. for thyroid.
1: You know, I had heard that. I had heard that. And I think isn't kale is cruciferous as well, right?
0: Right. So it's in that same family. And you've got people eating, you know, you know it, some people are doing keto, which is great. But if they want to optimize a little bit more, instead of having that cauliflower pizza crust, maybe try something else. Maybe not try to make foods that resemble the standard American diet and have foods that resemble your ancestors, no matter what part of the world they came from. Your ancestors ate meat and lots of fatty meat, and that was the most important thing. It's fatty meat. And, And fat has been demonized. And I think an important thing to remember, and this is a mantra that will seem strange to you, but eat fat to burn fat, go to the gym to gain muscle. You will not lose weight going to the gym.
1: I like that. Eat fat. You know, it's funny because I had heard that. I had heard that the weight loss happens in the kitchen and you build muscle in the gym. Like I remember I had heard that, but it never, I had a hard time wrapping my head around that because that's the exact opposite of what we typically hear.
0: A good example that I've heard, and this is not mine, so I have to take it. I can't remember if if it was Ken Berry or Sean Baker or Saladino, but one of those docs, they had said that if you're in your garage and there's a huge pile of gravel, I mean, just like as big as the house, and you want to move it and you've got a shovel and you've got a backhoe that you could drive, what would be the most efficient tool? Well, the backhoe, obviously. Well, diet is your backhoe. The shovel, is that's exercise. That's the fine gaining a little more muscle here and there. I mean, to give you an idea how profound this is, I have two patients, uh, well, this is in Alaska, and I'm not seeing patients right now. We'll get into that in just a bit. That's a that's a fun story. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had a patient that was taking 80 units, eight zero units of insulin every single day, having to inject himself every day, and taking pills. He took me up on this challenge. He, he tried the carnivore diet. and if you have diabetes and you take insulin, do not try this diet unless you have a continuous glucose monitor, one of those sensors that goes on your skin. And the reason I caution you so, so much on that is you could die, you could kill yourself. Because this man went from 80 units of insulin down to 10 in one week. Within two months he was off all diabetic medications and completely controlled glucose.
1: just on this diet. So if
0: he was if he took his 80 units at the end of that week, he would have died. He would have killed himself.
1: You know, th- this really brings, you know, to the forefront so much of this the reality that we have way more control over our health than we think. And it and it begins with what we're putting into our mouth.
0: Exactly. And, you know, doctors get some of that right when they say the diet's so important, but then so many of them go and steer the wrong direction, plant-based. If we take into account, like, so right now I'm living in Alaska, or I was living in Alaska, now I'm living in Arizona. I'm living in the desert. And if I look outside, and I don't know how many of your listeners live in the desert, but how many plants can you eat? Yeah. They have spikes and they have spines on them because they don't want you to get near them. And so... Like, if you just look at things from a logical sense like that, like, okay, it makes sense. And so what did people in Alaska and what did people in Arizona both eat? They ate animals. In fact, the Native Americans in this part of the world, they they followed the herds. And that's what they ate. And so if we look back to diet as being important, which it obviously is, and we look back to our heritage to find out what people like us, and people like us, I mean, if you go back 10 generations, and you can take someone from Australia, and you take someone from America, and you could take they could look as vastly different as possible, and you go back 10 generations, the genes that they give their ancestors are, there's almost no difference. So humans are pretty much the same. So what, if I go back 10 generations and I look at the, the genome that that mother, great, great, however many great, and looked at yours, how much she gave you and how much she, mine gave me, there'd be a negligible difference. So we're basically the same operating system, the same machinery. And so humans have to eat the same thing. Like all horses eat grass. Some horses might do a little better on this grass than that grass, but they eat grass. They don't eat meat. All cats, lions, eat meat. They don't, they shouldn't eat grass. They vomit when they eat grass. Humans, yeah, some people might do a little better with a little more carbs. Some people do better with no carbs. But we all have the same operating system.
1: And you shudder to think that it's like when when you start to research this this way of approaching diet and and kind of start understanding some of the mechanisms behind why we believe what we believe. Because I think you brought up a good point. Like, who wants you to eat vegetables? Well, people that are concerned about feeding the masses, right? Because vegetables are, you know, it, it's at least seemingly uh, cheaper, more cost effective and just get people's stomachs full with, without necessarily considering the impact. I think it really starts to get you to, to question a lot of the narrative that we're getting about our health and about what we should be eating
0: right and and the reason all of this is important is to become pregnant, you must be at peak physical health right so so the the man at his peak physical um, abilities is you know, and this isn't just today, this is going back thousands of years. The man needs to be able to go out, traverse long distances, he needs to be able to kill something and bring it back to feed his people. A woman at peak performance needs to be able to become pregnant and and raise those children which includes breastfeeding which includes birth which which includes you know during birth not bleeding to death i mean all that is that is a a monstrous physical feat to be able to become pregnant go through pregnancy have a live birth and not bleed to death and then have enough energy to breastfeed like i don't i don't think many doctors understand how how big a deal that is i mean that is that is peak performance that's That's like an elite athlete type of performance. And so to be able to to do that, we need to be able to have the best fuel going into our machine so that we can have best possible performance. And does that mean you're going to cure all disease? No. Have I seen a lot of people cure a lot of disease doing this? Yes.
1: That's so interesting. You know, after all these years of doing this, I have never thought of getting pregnant, going through pregnancy, and birthing like an elite athlete, I think that's brilliant. Like, Because it's true, right? I mean, I don't think I've ever quite heard it put in those terms. But I think that that really, what you've described here, I think really honors that process because you don't have bounce back time. Like as a mom, you have your baby and immediately that baby gets put on your chest and you got to get to work. Like,
0: And doing it all with no sleep.
1: So I think yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you know, and it's interesting though cuz I'm sure that there's going to be some that listen to this and say, "Well, you know, you're saying you have to be in peak health. Well, what about the crackheads that have babies? Like how do you explain Physiologically,
0: that?" Physiologically, their their body is able to compensate and be able to to make up for the bad things that are happening to their body by, you know, self-choice. Or the things that happen to people's body due to uh, lack of knowledge, right? Because we, we think the standard American diet is a great way to eat. But if you eat standard American foods, then you get standard American diseases, diabetes, hypertension, obesity. And as you become more obese, yeah, it's more difficult it... to become pregnant. And I'm sure you've talked about this before, but the adipocyte or the, the fat cell itself it makes estrogen. And as that gets larger, it pumps out more estrogen. And so that's why we see um, you know, irregular periods in people that are obese. This is why we see men tend to have more, they, they have more feminine features as they become obese because they have more fat cells making more estrogen floating around. They, women have testosterone and estrogen, they have very little testosterone, but they need that little bit. And the fat cells will take that little bit and convert it into estrogen. And so now it's, it's almost as if you're taking a oral contraceptive by what, you know, suppresses the egg cells from, from coming into fruition so that you have the ability to become pregnant. And so that's why it's important to not eat the standard American diet. Because the standard American diet, the polyunsaturated fatty acids, the ones that, let's say, the American Heart Association says that you should eat these oils, canola oil, soy oil, all these terrible oils they seem to work like a signaling molecule that makes your body more insulin resistant. And as you become more insulin resistant, your fat cells get fatter. Your blood pressure goes up, you get more estrogen because of the fat cells getting fatter. And just every, and then you put carbs on top of that, now you're dumping gas on a fire and you've got diabetes. So the most important thing is to be metabolically healthy and that's where saturated fat comes in. That is a, a fat that's appropriate for our species animal fat, and the best kind is ruminant animals, so beef, goat, sheep, you know, any sort of deer, elk, moose, things like that. Pigs, to an extent, they still have, we call them PUFA, polyunsaturated fatty acid, because it's easier to say PUFA than polyunsaturated fatty acid. Pigs have some of that in them, because they can't convert it like, like the cow can, and so it's important that, you know, are the pigs you're eating, are they eating soy? Are they being fed soy or corn or are they getting fed other things that they should be eating?
1: That's actually really interesting because I think sometimes like we get this messaging about, okay, grass-fed beef. That's great. You know, try to have as many grass-fed animals as possible, but I don't think we are asking enough questions about what else they're eating. What is in the grass, right? What is, you know, cause it's, it seems like we need to extrapolate a little, a little farther back and really think about these questions in a bigger way. Like making sure that, you know, if you're eating pork, that they're not consuming soy or any animal, you know, that you're eating is not being exposed to soy. Like You know, I think people's heads might explode when they think about, you know, having to extrapolate back, but I think that's part of our responsibility. Um, So Dr. Sigaloff, you were just talking about, you know, pork and, and how we need to be careful about pigs eating soy. And I think that raises a really interesting point about really thinking critically about where we're getting our meat, the quality of the meat. What the meat is, you know, what these animals are consuming, what they're having injected in them, you know, these are all things that I think as we become more awakened to the power of food and how important it is, you know, to be really judicious about what we're eating, I think these are things that we need to be taking into account.
0: Well, I think one thing to make sure I I state clearly is, yeah... Pigs from the store might have more PUFA, the polyunsaturated fatty acids, in them than let's say if you raised them or you shot a wild javelina or a wild wild boar or something. I'd rather you eat that than just about anything else in the store. So so like let's say we have grass-fed, grass-finished beef, and we have the cheapest meat that you can buy at the store that's ground beef, and it only has meat in it. There's nothing else. I want to make, you know, ingredients, beef, and that's it. The difference between the really, really expensive beef and and the cheap beef, it might taste different, but the differences are so negligible. I'd rather you eat the beef than pretty much anything else in the store, because it is so much better. You know these ideas of superfoods and and you know we always hear about people saying, "Oh, I eat this fruit to get this, and I eat that fruit to get this and this." How would you do that ten thousand years ago? Did you even live in a part of the world where that thing grows? Could you get those in the same... St- let's go back 150 years ago. Could you buy both of those in the same store at the same time? Bananas and oranges. Probably not. Because they'd have to ship it across the world fast enough for you to be able to eat it. So how are people not getting, let's say, scurvy? How are people not getting scurvy like the... Um, let's say the Eskimo. How did the Eskimo... Not, how, did, um, how did the, the Comanche... How did the Bedouin, how did they not get scurvy? They didn't have, They. I don't know how they had oranges or limes or lemons, they eat meat. And and what's really interesting and Sean Baker really opened my eyes to this is when you're not eating glucose, you're not eating a ton of sugar, you don't need a lot of vitamin C because the glucose prevents the vitamin C from binding. And so you can sur- you can survive on a lot less vitamin C and there is vitamin C in meat. It's not the super high levels that the FDA says you need this much per day because the FDA is counting on you eating a ton of sugar every day that's gonna block all that vitamin C from going into you.
1: Wow, I had no idea. That's extraordinary. I mean, that's, that piece of information alone is mind boggling.
0: And so we've talked a lot about you know women's health and, and getting the right, getting all the right nutrition. One thing that I I think has also been demonized is cholesterol, and this is important for men and women. So if you look at testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone, the basic molecule that they're all built on is called cholesterol. Well, cholesterol's been demonized so much, so what happens if you take away all the cholesterol? Well, then you, you can't make the hormones that you need. You can't make the hormones that you need to make eggs, to make the endometrial lining, Um, You can't make the hormones that you need to make for for the men to make sperm. In adequate numbers of it, they can swim. And so this is why cholesterol is so critically important. Even LDL, like we've been lied to forever. LDL is demonized. It's going to cause heart attacks. The evidence doesn't actually prove to that. It doesn't show that there's a strong association between LDL and heart attacks. There's like a very narrow subgroup where like if you're a male and you're in your late 50s, Um, and it's like 56 to 58 or so, it's very narrow, that there might be an association. But basically what happened is this guy, Ansel Keys, said, when he cut someone's artery open, he says, this looks like LDL. This must be what it is. Quick, everybody, we got to lower LDL. And then that got into the political realm, and so politicians set policy to help lower LDL. When in reality, LDL is part of the immune system. And so if, if LDL is part of the immune system and we're lowering LDL in people and fat is the, is important for the body, right? Cholesterol, fat, the brain is the fattiest organ in the entire body. And so let's say we tell people to reduce their fat intake. We give them pills like statins to reduce how, or to change how they metabolize fat. Then of course, they're going to have altered um, thoughts, they're not gonna be able to think as much, they're gonna feel cloudy all the time because their body can't have their brain work properly and you can't run software on hardware that's not proper.
1: Wow. Because so if you have people's thought processes reduced, you have their immune system lowered, Mm -hmm. you produce foods and tell people to eat foods that make them fat, We're kind of getting a little bit of an equation going here, Dr. That
0: You've made a ton of slaves, (laughs) exactly, who are dependent on you for buying the medications that continue the disease process. And you keep feeding them foods and telling them that, you know, like American Diabetic Association telling patients to eat a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast, 50 grams of carbs for breakfast. How is that supposed to help their diabetes? It doesn't.
1: Yeah. That's, oh, wow. I mean, that's, that's incredible. So, that, oh, keep going. Keep yeah. going. This is great. This,
0: this, this was the, so, and to kind of prove that point too about the LDL, and this is just a anecdotal story, but I had this 30 something year old guy. I saw him in clinic and he was there for an abscess. He had an abscess like in his you know, armpit or something, his axilla. And, you know, I drained it and looking back in his history I'm like guy you've recently in the past year you've had like two urinary tract infections that's unusual you've had quite a few abscesses what's changed and knowing what I know about statins I said hmm it looks like statin started about a year ago also and I talked to him I said did you have these infections and these problems before starting the statin no let's get you off the statin because one of the side effects of statin is urinary tract infections and other infections because it's lowering your LDL, which is part of the immune system.
1: Wow. Well, and especially at a time, Dr. Sigaloff, where our immune systems are being taxed in so many different ways, it would seem that eating healthy fats and, and revisiting what we think is healthy couldn't be more critical.
0: And, yeah figuring out what is healthy, because I get patients all the time, yeah, I I ate healthy, I had my spinach smoothie, ooh, spinach smoothie, yeah, that's why you got this kidney stone.
1: (laughs) Well, and the sugar, because that's the thing, I mean, like, when you think about, like, I had a i I had some fruit last night, it had been a long time since I had fruit, and I was just like, oh, let me just, let me just have some, because I just want to taste it again. And I could not believe how insanely sweet fruit, like I just had a small bowl of fruit. I couldn't even finish it. I was like, I can't even do this. But there are people that run around eating that all day thinking it's healthy.
0: And dunking their strawberries in sugar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: And I'm not against fruit. I think fruit's okay. Um, I don't eat a lot of fruit just personally, but but also I want to make it clear. Like I'm not like, as strict as Sean Baker, if you look him up, like he eats meat and only meat and with meat on the side. I am, I I live more in, in a different reality. Now he's great. And he's a great resource. And he's, that's a lot of discipline. I don't have that much discipline, but I do have enough discipline where I don't eat vegetables and haven't for over two years. I don't eat processed foods because if I do, everything is so much worse that it's not worth doing it. Like IBS is well, gone. So let's talk I've had about IBS. I, did, I thought that's how people lived. And really? Now it's gone.
1: See, that's extraordinary to me because I mean, because I think sometimes what happens is people go to extremes, right? We say, okay, if I'm going to do this carnivore diet, it's like only meat. And I, you know, I, I won't ever allow myself, you know, a little bit of freedom. But I agree with you. I, I think having a little bit, you know, because that's kind of like I figured when I, if I have a sweet tooth, I'm either going to grab a piece of fruit, you know, to have a to have a little bit of that, you know, satiation, um, as opposed to an entire bar of chocolate. Right. I'll take the fruit. I'll take the you know, that teeny bit of fruit. And Um, yeah.
0: And fruit isn't always sweet. A lot of people think that. Tomatoes are a vegetable, they're a fruit. Cucumbers are a fruit. Pumpkin is a fruit. Any sort of squash is a fruit. If it has a seed in it or on it, like a strawberry has it on it, but uh, avocado has it in it, those are all fruit. And they're a different part of the plant with a different reason. They want you to take that so that you can spread their seeds. But they don't want you eating their seeds because that's how they continue their species. How many people do you know that have problems with gluten? That is a protein that the plant has figured out. Let me put this in here to keep things from eating me. It, again, it's a long game. This, this was mind-blowing to me. I was sitting with a patient once, and we were talking about diet, and she, she was from Asian descent, and we were talking about, so what type of rice did people eat in your country 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago? White rice. They didn't eat brown rice. Us and all of our you know, enlightened sense or basically arrogance, we think that brown rice is better. But let's say you're very poor and you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of meat to eat, and you need to get calories in your body; otherwise, you die. But you want to eat this rice. But if the brown part on the rice hurts you, you figure out a way to take that part off. And can you imagine the Herculean task that it is to take rice off of enough the brown part off of enough rice to be able to eat a bowl of rice? Now let's expand that to sell rice to your your village. Expand that to I mean, so it's a lot of work to figure that out, but they did that because otherwise it hurt them. And they may not have known why it hurt them or that it did hurt them, but, but they went through all that work to figure that out. So that, that, should, that speaks to you. And when you're critically thinking, you have to think, why did someone do it this way? Why didn't they just put brown rice into a pot and boil it? Because they could have done that, but they didn't. And it's not because it looks pretty, because that's a lot of work to have something look pretty. because it's healthier and that's that's one thing that's really important is energy for the body yeah go ahead
1: oh no no i no please go ahead i was just going to say that i mean it it sounds like going back to the old way of doing things like the way that we do things today is is not doesn't really sound like it's necessarily better just because it's new doesn't make it better there seems like a lot of ancient wisdom that we can go back to
0: right and so i watch veggie tales with the kids um i got little kids at home and there's this this veggie tale where they it's on netflix uh, which we'll be canceling after this month actually (laughs) for other (laughs) unrelated issues um right if you know you know if you don't maybe maybe look into it um right there's this vegetales where there's this little grate and like you know in the floor because there there are vegetables in the house right and their little like toy flies into this grate and they they need to get it open they just all the young kids are like we got to get this open and one of the older uh is like "Eh, maybe there's a reason why we didn't open that why there's locks on there and they're it it pants to them all the older people in the in the library reading and then one of them goes, I know why we didn't close it or why we locked it, right as they're cracking the, the lock off and the grate flops open and then all these dust bunnies come and invade the entire town, which it's kind of silly. But the idea is the older generation knows a lot. And, and yes, we need that, that drive of the young to change, but we must also look back to the older generation and understand why those breaks and those, those stops and why those walls were put there. Often there's a very good reason. And so the rest of the episode, they're, they're dealing with these dust bunnies and they're, you know, back, it's funny, but that's an analogy to a much bigger idea that they're trying to teach that the older generation knows things that you don't. We look right. back 10,000 years ago, they knew things that we don't. Because they live long right. enough to put us here today. And now we've got children dying of chronic disease before their parents die.
1: You know it's incredible, Dr. Sigaloff, because when you think about, I mean, even in in the short time that we've been chatting here, you know, we really kind of upended a lot of things. You know, where we you, you challenge the 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 narrative that eating meat is bad, or that fat is bad, or that LDL is bad, and that you know this this you know more plant based diet is better. And I'm sure you've seen the monstrosity that is the impossible burger and things like that. It's like, you know, I my husband and I saw that at the store and we're like, what could possibly be in there that is better after it's been processed a thousand times than this piece of meat? Like, how can you say that that is better? Like, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, it's completely impossible. I mean... It's not meat, and it shouldn't have the word meat anywhere in the name. Just like, was it soy milk got sued, and now they have to spell it differently because it doesn't have milk, or maybe it was almond milk. You can't milk an almond. And if you look at almonds, they're the seeds of the plant, and before humans altered them and bred them to not have was it cyanide in them, you couldn't eat them because they would kill you, because they don't want you eating their seeds. That's how they make new plants. That's why they put in a hard shell and put poisons in there. And when humans did eat seeds, they used that benefit of because seeds have the bad oils in them. But let's say 10,000 years ago, winter's coming. Well, you're going to eat some seeds because that's what's there. But that also helps you pack on some fat, which helps you live through the winter. But that's not the majority of your diet all year long for all of your life as it is with the American diet.
1: Mm. So when we when we think about women who are looking to conceive and and really wanting to get themselves into optimal health, you know, clearly diet is something to be looking at, and and I think you've shared a lot of really important takes on that to like reevaluate, you know, especially I mean, because a lot of the women that I serve have thyroid issues, you know, look at these greens that you're eating, see if that you know makes sense for you, educate yourself you know, really look and to see see if, you know, the greens that you're eating could be impacting your thyroid. You know, don't be so afraid of fat, because fat helps you produce the hormone that you're going to need. And it's also going to give you that longer term energy, as you say, because, you know, you're like an elite athlete, you're going to carry this baby, you're going to deliver this baby, and you're going to go immediately into feeding this baby, you have to have fuel for that. So what else should women be thinking about this day and age?
0: There's a lot of things and there's been a lot of lies. And, and all of that conversation was to preface this next part. To give you an idea of everything we just discussed is so upending that I was literally like walking around in a daze for about a month because it just it, see, it it took everything that I had learned and flipped it on its head, and for for someone to be able to what do that, what is that,
1: that like, Doctor Siglauk? Like, I mean, I gotta interrupt you because, yeah, like, yeah, what is that like? Because you're somebody who made a huge investment in time, resources to become a physician, and when you start to learn this stuff, I mean, I know you described it as walking around like in a in a daze for a month, but I mean, there must have been a lot going on.
0: Well, this is so. I was walking around in the days in January of 2020, and that's why all of this is so important. Because there's even an article that was written in I think it was October of 19, published in like January of 2020, that talks about as little as 30 grams of red meat a day can help you fight infections, to include, and it says in parentheses, coronaviruses. But we've never heard Lord Fauci, I mean Dr. Fauci, uh, say anything like that before because he's, he doesn't care about your health. He cares about getting you scared, which when you live in fear, you're less likely to become pregnant, you're less likely to, to have good health and you're less likely to survive. He's trying to separate you from your family, your loved ones. Again, the same thing, you're less likely to survive because there's so much more to medicine than pills. There's the psychological part of it, there's the spiritual part of it, there's the, the health of the body, each organ. There's the inflammatory part of it. There's so much involved, it's so complex that keeping you away from activities that you and your ancestors have done for thousands of years, of course it's gonna have a negative outcome. I mean, look at what just happened in, in Texas, in Uvalde. And I actually have um, a cousin whose daughter was there and it's it's absolutely terrible. But look at this guy, this, this murderer who did this, or alleged murderer, I guess I can't, you know, whatever, alleged whatever. He was approximately 16 when we went into lockdowns. And this was a concern I've had from the very beginning. What about the psychological health of all of these people? Two years later, this is what we got. And then to all the men out there, quit eating soy and do the right thing. Because there was no man, well, there was one man who was there. And he went in and he had, from what I understand, a bullet grazed off of his head. But he killed that murderer. But I've seen video, and I don't know all of the details. But I've seen the video, and I know what the video shows me. There's there's people that have kit on, so body armor that says police on it. They have a rifle hanging off their chest. There's all these parents who are very concerned, and the police or whatever, whatever law enforcement agency they are. I don't want to be you know fact checked. Oh, they were they were deputies, not whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? They had their taser pointed at the parents keeping a perimeter around the murderer. Where are the men? And you listen to the, was it the lieutenant or who the police chief? And he says, well, yeah, well, some of our guys could have got shot. That's what they signed up for. That is exactly what they said, to stand in the gap, to to stop the slaughter. You know, that's what a fireman signs up for, to go into a burning building. That's what, a. that's what, soldiers and and service members sign up for to protect the country that's what police signed up for and to do anything less is a dereliction of duty and we need men and there's this idea of toxic masculinity i think it was Ali b stuckey that said that if toxic masculinity were a thing then children raised without a father would be better and that's patently false we know that children raised without a father have more legal issues, commit more crimes, and have more problems. And now let's compare, and it's not just a one-parent thing, right? Because if we have, let's say, a single mother raising kids, those boys are more likely to have more legal problems. If we have a single dad raising kids, that's equal to both parents. Well, what do you expect if you've been yelling at men that they can't be men for years? Men are going to give up, and they're going to give up their duties. And that's not to... To say anything less about women, because women are that that drive that makes men be better. Women are so critically important to make men better. Like I am am much better now than I was when I first met my wife. She's <laughs> she has helped make me a better man. You know, otherwise I'd just be a kid. You know, because but that's that's why women are so important. And we can't say, oh well, oh, he's he's a sexist because he doesn't think no, I think women are incredibly important. But if we don't have women make men important again then that will destroy society. Because the worst thing in society is a weak man. It's a weak man who goes into a school and shoots a bunch of innocent people. It's a weak man who, I saw this video a while back, it was a, it was a man who kicked a woman in the abdomen. A pregnant woman. That's a weak man. A strong man would stop that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: A strong man stands yeah. up for society and is that, that shield that puts his life in the way to stop bad things from happening that is what a man is and we need men to be men again
1: yeah and i and i think I want that, a that, way, you know i see time. this also yeah no no i mean i think it's an interesting conversation because i think fertility is also about your relationships and i think you had talked about that you know when we're looking at overall health you were saying earlier which you know we've heard so many different ways and so many different times that if, when you live in fear you know, you, that is, it whether it's psychological or other things going on, you know, that impacts your health. And I think when we look at the health of relationships and, you know, being in really strong marriages and partnerships where, you know, you know you're going to be supported, I think women can live their, their fertility journey with more strength and more resilience when they have a really strong partner there with them.
0: Okay. So let me get into the COVID thing. Sorry. All that to lead okay. up to COVID. No, it's, yeah, no, no, so no it's all COVID good. First happened, it's all
1: good. We'll clean this up in the editing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when, when all this happened, so I'm, I'm eating meat, I'm eating lots of fat. I'm not falling asleep at work. Uh, well, I really falling asleep at work, but needing to take, let's say a nap at lunchtime, because I've been scheduling that for years. Um, not falling asleep at home playing with my kids and so I felt I was in the best shape and so I volunteered uh, you know metabolic shape not not just um, physical physique but in the best metabolic health which is the most important thing everything else comes after that so I volunteered to go into our COVID clinic as the only physician that volunteered to go into a COVID clinic and it was still below zero temperatures in the morning so we had to figure out how to make thermometers work like batteries don't work when it's that cold and for a month and a half out there and I was as the limit as much as I possibly could on testing because we were in a place where we had a PCR test early on and my thought was, is this seems like a good scientific idea, is that we need to know if it's in the community. To figure out if it's in the community, we need to test as many people as we can. So I, as many, I would take whatever symptom, the newest symptom that was being published, I would take that into my, my idea of, okay, well, should we test them or not test them? And so I was testing as many as, as I possibly could, basically, never had a positive Test for a month and a half, and then eventually they're like, Sigloff we need you to get back to work in the clinic because we need patients to get seen." Okay. And so, as time progresses, then they come out with with the ingredient list on the shots, uh, Pfizer, and Moderna, and a couple of compounds really just draw drew my eye to them, DSPC and DSPE. And so I did a quick search, found their material saf- safety data sheets. These are compounds that are not validated for human use their toxicology reports are classified.
1: So if toxicology reports are classified, how could you possibly have informed consent?
0: Precisely. Precisely. How can... And so this is the area where I have to tread carefully, and I'm going to send you a link to a Children's Health Defense um, article. It was very, very well written, and and the reason I'm going to send you to that so that you can put alongside this video is because I can't talk about lawsuits that involve the U.S. government, mm. even though I'm a named plaintiff in that particular lawsuit, and I am—I have an affidavit in Robert v. Austin, and I can't talk about that um, that affidavit, but I can talk about my medical exemption that I was giving out to soldiers who didn't want to get the shot, and they're basically the same thing. But the, the medical exemption, it says that those first three ingredients are these lipid nanoparticles, or LNP, because it's easier to say LNP than lipid nanoparticle. And so the lipid nanoparticle is, is this fat glob. And, and they, they call it cholesterol. They use these terms that, oh, it sounds endearing, cholesterol, because we just learned cholesterol is good, right? No, this is not cholesterol. This is, this is, its chemical structure is more equal to squalene. Squalene is what caused all the problems back with anthrax. And it's not validated. The first two of them are not for medical use at all. And the third one, not only not for medical use, but even says not for veterinary use, can't even give it to animals. And here we are injecting wow. it into people. And so from where my standpoint was as a physician, looking for truth, and I think that's that's how you go through those times where you're in a cloud and you're looking for truth. You're not looking for things that, that align with your thought process because you're going to find things that don't align with your thought process and it's hard to make it through that unless you're really committed to the truth. And I gave out these medical exemptions and and then by September 13th I was put in summary suspension for allegedly going against the secretary of defense guidance which is non-binding. Guidance is not binding, right? And you're you're a lawyer, you know that guidance and policy are very different terms. They mean different things. And so, on the 14th of September, the day later, is when the policy came out. And if you looked at everything that I provided to soldiers and service members, all of those policies were followed because they were already put into law in 2003. And I was accused of giving misinformation. The material safety data sheet from the company that manufactures these, that cautions that all, all safety falls on the end user. That's misinformation is what they're saying.
1: So if the documents came from the producer of that substance, you making a decision based on that information is misinformation?
0: Because that's not what it's about. It's about control. They've been trying to control us for the pet. We've been in a, almost as if it were, not it is, but almost as if it were um, in a police state, in a prisoner war camp. It's certainly a bad relationship, right? If you had someone keeping you in your home and not let you out and and tell you what to think and tell you how to think and tell you, you now you need to go get this medical treatment, we would call that an abusive spouse.
1: Yeah. Now you add new technology it, that's never
0: been used in humans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge crime. And now you is mRNA, and even the term mRNA is a lie, because when you look at the Pfizer documents, and you, s- mRNA was a term that was used in the past, it's called messenger RNA, but if you look at the actual Pfizer Moderna documents, it doesn't say messenger RNA, it'll say that somewhere here or there, it'll have M, and then will RNA, and then a will asterisk, and then the asterisk will lead you down to the bottom of the page, and the bottom of the page it says, modified, a uh, nucleoside modified RNA. What is modified or mod RNA? Well, they change the nucleoside out and your body cannot decompose that. So how long does it stay in your body? It's a good question. I wish anybody could answer it. Nobody can. They haven't released that. I don't even think they looked into that. After a few weeks, they said, well, it's getting the results we need, so let's quit looking. Any doctor that's ever said that it's safe and effective, they're either completely arrogant or ignorant, possibly both, but they're lying to you either way because effective that's not a term that can mean so many different things. It can mean it's easy to administer. Yeah, it is easy to administer. I just stick something in your arm and walk away. It was easy. I didn't, it wasn't hard for me at all. What they should be using is the term efficacious. And if they're not using the word efficacious, then they don't know what they're talking about. And we have now learned that there's a negative 300% efficaciousness to these shots, meaning you're 300 times more likely to be infected if you've had it. Which lends credence to the fact that it's going to cause some sort of vaccine-associated autoimmune deficiency. I I have a podcast, and I was doing some episode 9. Go back and listen to that. Uh, I caution anyone that's had the shot before they listen to that because it's a lot of really hard things. And I was speculating in a lot of it. And about a week later, I got a white paper from a lawyer who had hired some people to, to figure this out. And they figured out that there is CRISPR in the Pfizer sample that they tested. CRISPR. Okay, what's that doc? CRISPR is gene editing protein. So it's a protein that's designed to go into your nucleus of your cells. It knows where to look because you program it with gRNA, little gRNA, RNA, and that tells you exactly where, where to open up your DNA it cuts out what it's designed to cut out and it pastes in whatever they have programmed it to paste in. And it looks like it has targeted three different parts. I think it's two on chromosome 5 and one on chromosome 19. And then we have whistleblower documents from Pfizer that says that yeah there's CRISPR in it. Again, if like what you said, that's not informed consent, but that's even worse than that. Now we're outside of the realm of protection for some new experimental, you know, emergency use authorization. This is this is in the criminal realm if you're trying to change people's DNA.
1: Well, I guess the question would be like what would you be changing in somebody's DNA that has anything to do with this you know, this illness that this shot is supposed to be providing prophylaxis for or some kind like what is that and and i'm not a physician nor do i play one on tv but just (laughs) as like common sense like you know following the logic like why uh, you know having a general understanding of how they typically work is you you inject something it creates an immune response then your immune system generally speaking knows how to fight it but this is something completely different
0: and for it to do what they say that it does to to allegedly make some immune modulation to make you immune to this virus thing um it would have to have what they say that's in there at least right a whole spike protein well the spike protein is the dangerous part of this entire thing if it if there was a coronavirus that went over the entire world and it didn't have the spike protein put on it by someone which we call gain of function which is illegal then this wouldn't, like, we wouldn't be in a situation, we wouldn't be talking because we wouldn't know each other. I wouldn't be suspended. I mean, the whole thing wouldn't have happened. So they put the toxic particle into the shot, at least that's what they say. And in this white paper that I have, there is no whole piece of spike protein in there. So how's it doing what they say? And, and well, some of them going to say, oh, well, yeah, they don't put the protein in there. They put the RNA in there. There's no RNA that encodes for an entire spike protein. And this is the first specifically. And even if it and wasn't are, there, just let's walk down this this thought process of...
1: We got paused.
0: There we go. Sorry, my uh, camera cut out on me. I don't know if it's, okay, no so let's let's walk down this, this path of if there was a spike in there and we sent directions to every cell in your body to make the spike. One of two things would happen. Your body would go, oh, there's spike everywhere. Let me make an immune response to it. And then it would kind of go down this path of like allergy shots. Allergy shots, we give you just a tiny bit of something that bothers you. And then we, over time, we slowly raise that amount that it, that it, um, your body gets used to it. It goes, oh, it's always here. Let me not respond to it. So if we keep giving you shots of spike protein and your body keeps making these spike proteins, then eventually your immune system will go, well, it's everywhere. Every cell's making it. Maybe it's not a problem. Well, the problem with that is now you have no shield to protect yourself against this virus. And that's what antibody-dependent enhancement basically is. And, you know, that's been thought as a kooky idea. Maybe not. And then the other idea, so it could go hard one or two ways. That was the first way it could go. This other way it could go is it goes, oh, goodness, every cell is causing, is making this thing it shouldn't be making. Let me go kill this cell. Let me go kill that. And pretty soon you've killed a lot of cells. too many cells
1: and that's where we get autoimmune response right at that point
0: right just a quick aside I've had two patients with rheumatoid arthritis that went on carnivore symptoms went away stopped all their medications I
1: I thought that was my understanding of what Michaela um, had Michaela Peterson had done as well right Wow that's incredible well, and it's interesting that meat gets demonized.
0: Yeah. And so if you, uh, so I have, I have religious background, I'm Christian, and a really good book for people to read is called The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters is at C.S. Lewis, I believe. Um, but it's, it's looking at, at the unseen realm battle from the enemy's perspective. So it's it's these letters these hand, these letters written to um, this junior devil, and it's his uncle. The uncle is writing the letters, and he's the more senior devil, and he's trying to coach and and figure out ways to help him figure out the best way to to seduce humans and to destroy humans. And so, if we look at it from that perspective, from the evil side's perspective, and we we teach people that the plants that are good for them are now bad for them, and we teach. We make them think that the plants that are bad for them are actually better for the environment, which is also wrong because you, you use a lot more oil because you need pesticides, herbicides, uh, fertilizers. You need to drive tractors more if you're trying to raise more plants. If you're raising cattle, you don't need as many you know, oil use, you know, fossil fuel machines. Uh, but let's say we convince people that, that these foods that are bad for them are actually good for them and they eat a bunch of it for a long period of time and then eventually and this is where we look to history again the way they used to diagnose let's say celiac because it would get so bad that the entire gi tract would be scarred and there'd be no way to absorb anything and when you have b12 deficiency first you get anemia and then you get neuropsych symptoms that can resemble schizophrenia wow because the brain needs b12 b12 is only found in animals and so if you go into a diet that does not have any B12 in it, you're taking, you know, take some. I take a bunch of pill stock. That's, that's fine. I get all my B12 I need. Not as good as, never has any pill been as good as the actual source. But let's say you start having altered mentation because you're not getting the B12 you need. Meaning you can't have normal thought. You start acting out you start yelling at the sky because there was some election that went one way or the other. And I'm not saying that's why those people did that, but it's certainly not helping. But also in April of 2020, there was an article that came out that said that those that eat meat have less behavioral health issues than those that eat no meat. Hmm. Now we've got it from a couple different places, right? We've got a couple different sources saying the same thing. That's how you find truth, is you find one point and you look at it from different angles and if it looks the same or very very similar from all the different angles then you found
1: truth i think on a spiritual level too dr sigeloff you can also feel when you're in the presence of truth i think when you're when you hear it it resonates i think you can feel it and you know i think that's a part of like when we look at overall health you know we've talked about diet we've talked about you know, fear, we've talked about all these things that, you know, when we think of how people can be healthy these days, and how people can, you know, protect their peace, and how they can, you know, move forward in kind of in a world that seems to be just crazy, you know, it would seem that being committed to truth and staying focused on that is is kind of this North Star. This, this way of staying focused and kind of getting out of the fray, getting out of the fear porn that I think a lot of people deal in and instead focus, go back to basics and just get focused.
0: And it's, it's so easy to buy into that because our bodies look for bad. Our minds are designed to look for bad stuff because 10,000 years ago, something bad happens like, hey, Bill just got gored by whatever that was. Let's remember what that looked like so that that doesn't happen to you. And so your your brain is hardwired to to remember those things and to not remember the good stuff as much. Because memory is, I think it was Jordan Peterson that said this, but memory is not designed for you to reminisce about it. It's to keep bad things from happening to you. It's so that you can make a map of the world around you so that you don't fall in those holes. I mean, even, you know, I I know people that, that are on the same side with me, but they're still watching, you know, the mainstream media and and often they'll come with me like oh well this this argument that's not even a thing like turn that off don't watch that if it doesn't help you if it doesn't make you a better person if it doesn't help you and your family in your small circle don't bring it home don't let it be in your house that's how the enemy gets in and the enemy is not you know i don't think there's some some big conspiracy against man and i think it's it's bigger than that, but it's not a conspiracy. I think it's it's this unseen realm idea that there's good and there's evil, and, and evil will use whatever it can, and it's been around much longer than I have. Not long, I mean, it's been around longer than humans have. But they use, they do the whispering in the ear, and they suggest this, and it seems good at the time, but its end result is not that. And those ideas are really fleshed out in this book called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. and Again, I said I'm a, I'm a Christian, and it changed everything about the Bible, but it also changed nothing at the same time. And it opened my eyes to be able to see these these things that are going on in our world and how whenever it leads to more chaos, and we know who the father of chaos is, Satan, if it leads to more chaos, then it's not of God. And, and all of the things that are done at policy level now, are they leading to more chaos or are they leading to more individual freedom? It's something you have to ask, ask yourself. And at some point, it, oh, well, these stupid politicians, are they stupid or are they incredibly smart? Because we should never underestimate our enemy. I'm not saying the politicians are the enemy. I'm n- that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the ideas that they're, they're channeling, they're using.
1: If we were going to basically line up some things that if, if women are looking to empower themselves when it comes to their health... And when we're looking at critically thinking, when it comes to optimizing fertility and really taking responsibility for, you know, looking beyond these statistics, because that's the other thing that a lot of my, the women that I serve really kind of get beaten down by is these, these scare, you know, tactics of statistics, you're too old, this, you know, this is never going to happen for you. When we hear stories, and, and I see it in my practice all the time, of women in their forties, absolutely having babies. Like, I think that, you know, some of this information, you know, maybe it's well-intentioned, but a lot of it is just there to scare people into thinking that their dreams are never going to come true, that it's not even possible. But I think that the truth is, and it bears out in, in nature that anything is possible.
0: Right. And yeah, and we've said this multiple times already, but don't, don't believe what they want you to believe. Don't believe what they say. Do your own research. Look it up yourself. Don't do anything you don't want to do. And, you know, there's plenty of people that have already got the shot and because they were told by their doctor that lied to them and said, oh, well, this will help protect you and the baby and blah, blah, blah. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future. And I don't want to tell you something bad. And I don't want to tell you something good because I don't know. Nobody knows. But what you can do is you can set yourself up for the best possible outcome. And the best possible outcome always comes when we put the best fuel into our machine. Now, let's say you can't do carnivore. Okay. Try keto. At least get the processed food out. Try and get some of the vegetables out. You know, the worst vegetables. And as you become more aware of your body, then you begin to understand, oh, well, well, I can eat this vegetable and it doesn't bother me and I like it. Okay, then do it. But I eat this vegetable and I become someone I don't want to become. It, it messes with my mind and makes me angry when I shouldn't be angry. And don't eat that again. And and for kids, feeding your kids, this is where it's really important to look up if you already have kids, is look up Ken Berry. He's got some um, some videos, I think at least one video on autism and how optimizing their food can help their symptoms significantly.
1: Yeah, I had heard that. I'm... Be- Something similar to that, I, uh, Dr. Andy Wakefield, I think, was a gastroenterologist at some point, and he was doing a lot of studies on and and work with children that had autism. And when diet was modified, and the GI issues were addressed, they saw dramatic improvement.
0: There was this one study that I think Salandino talked about, and this is this is different. Right? We're not. I'm not saying that all. Schizophrenia is caused by gut bacteria. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there was a study where they looked at cats and those cats, they were able to, to elicit schizophrenic-like symptoms with a particular, when they fed them a particular um, bacteria that would colonize their gut. And they'd remove that by giving them a, a drug to kill it and changing their diet. And then those symptoms would go away. Now, and I'm, I'm not saying that schizophrenia is going to be cured by carnivore. I'm not saying that at all. But that is the effect of food and the gut bacteria on the whole body it's that profound.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I really appreciate what you've shared here, Dr. Sigaloff. And I know that it has come at a significant price, like being a person that is committed to truth and at least giving people information so that they can make a decision for themselves, you know, because everything that I know about you and when, when I started you know, learning about you and everything you had been through. It's just, it's incredible what is, you know, what happens when you're committed to truth. Sometimes, the, you know, that, you know, it's surprising. You'd think that everyone wants to hear the truth, but not really.
0: And for those that, <clears throat> so there's lots of physicians that can't hear the truth and and try and give them a little grace and put yourselves in their shoes. Let's say I've got this new piece of bread. It's the best piece of bread ever. I love it. I've given it to all of my family. I've given all of my patients. I've encouraged them to get it, coerced them to get it. They've all gotten it. And now we're learning things about it that it may be dangerous, that I may be responsible for the injury that happened to my children, to my patients, to that puts such spiritual blinders over your eyes that your brain won't allow you to see it. Now, do they still need to be responsible? Yes. So, like, one thing that I'm sure many people here have not heard, and this is what you had asked me to mention specifically, is like when Pfizer did their study, they specifically omitted, removed from the study, pregnant women breastfeeding women. Now have you heard a doctor say it's safe in breastfeeding? Have you heard a doctor say it's safe in uh, being pregnant? I've told women, we don't know. It'd be best to wait. In fact, we shouldn't on pregnant women or breastfeeding women but they've done it have you ever heard that because this is part of the study where they they told men who were in relationships that they should not get their partner pregnant until 60 days after their last shot whoa wait a second why I hadn't, heard that. So hadn't cra- heard that so those crazy people out there that are saying there could be shedding well, they might be right. And that's that's where gleaning through all these crazy conspiracy ideas is, I mean, you, you want to open your brain to have new ideas come in, but you don't want to open so much that your brain falls onto the ground next to you. <laughs> but whenever I hear right. some conspiracy I- idea, I, I don't just buy it and go with it. I look into it because there's usually a shred of truth. There's something in there that might be right or that is right. And the example I have is, I was living in Alaska. This guy brought wood to us, the wood man, and he said, there's these huge underground FEMA camps out there. It's like, hmm. And I knew things that he didn't. And there are, you know, years ago, there was huge underground projects. They're not FEMA camps. They're, They're for a different military reason. And it's not some like deep underground bunker like some people. It's a legitimate reason. You want those places there. They keep us safe. You can find out about them if you want. They're, they're open. I'm not going to talk about it more than that here. But and everything I know about them is open source information. But they're legitimate things. But if you don't know the whole truth, you you live in Alaska. All this money's pouring in. All these people pouring in. People driving dirt out. Yeah, I mean, just all these things. It's like, oh well, they must be doing FEMA camps. Now it's not that, but there there was a huge project to build things underground. And so there's a shred of truth with most of these ideas. And so you just have to filter through and figure out and use your brain because God gave you a brain. He expects you to use it to figure out what the truth is and to be in search of the truth and be ready to have your world just turned upside down. I think it was Thomas Jefferson in a letter he wrote, he said, question everything with boldness, even the existence of God. For if there is a God, he would prefer honest questioning to blind faith. And that's how we should all live our lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I definitely appreciate that because, you know, and, and even the things that we've talked about here, I mean, these are, these are based on documents that really, that are released from the makers themselves. Right. I mean, this isn't like, you're not speculating. We're not speculating. These are, these are readily available pieces of information that just for some reason, you know, people can speculate whatever they want about why. um, But just for some reason, they weren't that information wasn't given. And when we think about women who were trying to conceive or women that are wanting to optimize their fertility, I mean, these are things that they need to be aware of.
0: One more thing that I want to I'm not going to speculate, I'm just gonna give the facts on this. So as a lawyer, you know, um, FOIA documents. So anytime you do a Freedom of Information Act request, they only apply to executive documents. From the executive branch, they don't apply to congressional documents. They don't apply to um, the Justice Department or um, judicial department uh, branch. They only apply to the executive branch. They do do not apply to any private, private or publicly traded companies. And all that we've seen a lot lately is all these FOIA, Freedom of Freedom of Information Act requests, uh, Pfizer document dumps. Why how can anyone request anything from a publicly traded company to go through FOIA? These are questions you should be asking yourself. Everyone just take, oh yeah, it's it's FOIA. We can FOIA that no, you can't. They're supposed to be a publicly traded company, not bound by FOIA. Now go down that a little bit deeper. Look at the the redacted portions. And and if you look at FOIA, they'll tell you reasons why they're redacted and they'll put a little letter number on there. And on one of them in particular, where they talk about where they did the testing, two of the testing sites, they don't let you know two of the testing sites and they don't let you know the names of the people who did the testing. And I'm going to just paraphrase this because I don't have it pulled up easily to read it verbatim. But Bravo 4, the letter B and 4, the reason that that redaction reason means that it could expose state-of-the-art U.S. weapons systems. I'm not making that up. Go look it up. Why Why can a FOIA, how can a Pfizer document be FOIA'd and why would that release potentially expose a state-of-the-art U.S. weapons system?
1: Because, yeah, because FOIA does documents... Does it have anything to you, do
0: with what... Does it have anything to do with the Fosun Pharmaceutical, the Chinese communist company that has a deal that is a public document that you can find? Uh, I think it was in March of 2020 when they came up with this, with BioNTech, the German company. And they help develop and they'll help sell. Is, Is there any relation there? So Fosun doesn't have a direct relationship with Pfizer. Pfizer has a partnership with BioNTech. BioNTech has a relationship with Fosun. So the question that we should be asking, I've been trying to look into this, is why? You know, we have laws that prevent soldiers from having weapon systems purchased from any, specifically, communist China, specifically. Now, and and there's the Barry Act also that prevents them from having any equipment, like, not weapon system, but just like shirt, and, you know, that kind of equipment from China. Could we potentially be putting a Chinese, or at least in part developed, potentially bioweapon, into the U.S. soldiers, service members? These are questions that we should be asking and I think there's more than a 1% chance risk of that happening and that more than 1% chance would make everything stop immediately. Recently heard a video clip of a man saying, yeah, we knew this lady from China and she said if she got the shot in America, when she goes back to China, they'll do a scan or a test or something and if it's positive, they will not allow her into the country, they'll turn her around. So why does China not want any of these mRNA technology, these MOD RNA technology in their country, amongst their population. None of what I've said was speculation just then. That is all fact. These are the things that should open your mind and go, whoa, how can we FOIA these documents? Why is it exposing, potentially exposing the state-of-the-art US weapon system? I thought it was just a glob of fat. Maybe there's something to these lipid nanoparticles.
1: Wow. Wow. And if FOIA only applies to the government, why would they be giving up Pfizer documents privately? Federal
0: government, not even state or local government.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sigal. I think it's I think it's incredible to be able to have a conversation, you know, that kind of spans so many different things. But I think the bottom line here is is people taking personal responsibility for their health to think critically, to you know to really be checking in like about the thing that makes sense like, you know I think that's what we we basically started with was does this make sense, and you know whether it's trying to conceive or, or general health you know to really take the time to think, to use your brain, and think about the information that you're being given and to also, you know, give yourself permission to to not live this journey in constant fear. So, thank you for that Dr. Sigeloff. It's been such a pleasure to to chat with you in this way and I'm I'm a fan and I think it's great to to be able to have this conversation with you. So, thank you.
0: And thank you so much for having me on. Just a reminder for everyone out there, in duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.